Some of you think, man, that looks fun. Others are like, don't do that to me, right? Don't do that to me. I love family ministry, right? That's actually uh, where I met my wife, Jen. She's sitting right over here on the far, my far right, uh, your far left. And I took it, my first job in ministry the, was to working with middle school students. And uh, my wife uh, was volunteering as an intern in that ministry. Or she wasn't my wife. This pretty girl, Jen, was uh, Wells, was volu- as an intern in the student ministry there. And that's how our love story began, was around craziness like that, right? And uh, we're going to talk this, uh, today about the opportunity that we have as a church family um, to be in the lives of our kids, right? To be in the lives of our kids. And we're going to do this by studying uh, briefly a quick overview of the story of Nehemiah. And I put on Facebook this week, if you had a chance to read Nehemiah before you come, that would kind of help you uh, because there are lots of layers to the story of Nehemiah. We're going to look at it through the lens today of what it looks like when a people stand in the gap together. Uh, Nehemiah is a story of a remarkable thing of what, uh, what a group of people, a group of leaders, a group of unprofessionals did that radically saved uh, not, a, not just a city but also a generation. Uh, the the story is found in the Old Testament. And um, what has happened is Jerusalem has been uh, overtaken, and the, the people of Jerusalem have been sent off. They've been sent off in exile to a number of places. And over time, the city has just deteriorated. It's been attacked. It's been hurt. It's been, uh, it's been not taken care of. And so the wall around Jerusalem that brought protection and security has also been torn down. But over decades and decades, something begins to happen, and the exiles begin to return. The exiles begin to come back to their homeland, right? But when they get there, what they see is, wow, this is not how we left it. This is a mess, right? And not only is it a mess, and our homes are messed up, but there are people that live around us who really don't like us. These people around us, they want us not to go away. They want us dead, and so our wall of protection is not here. And so not only are we trying to get our life back together, not only are we excited to be back home, but we have this reality of, man, our protection, our wall isn't here to help us. And this is where we're going to pick up our story today. During this time, Nehemiah um, was, uh, uh, was working for a king in a town of Susa. He was working for the king. And that's where we're going to begin our story today. But here is the problem that I have when I read scripture, right? And maybe you can connect with me on this. Oftentimes, we don't see past the words on the page. We miss maybe all of the things that are going on. Because here's what, we, here's what I didn't connect until recently reading this story from a different perspective. Is that during all of that craziness, during all the exiles coming back, during people moving back home, during the time when people are seeing their homes destroyed, how do we rebuild this? They're looking at the wall and seeing the wall <coughs> tore down in several places. I never have really thought about what it looked like for the, for the family. I just, in my mind, pictured men coming back with axes and shovels and, uh, uh, you know, cement and saying, hey, let's go to work. But the truth is, these men would have come with their, their wives and their children. Like, it would have been a family's coming back. And I'm like, what, what was going on through the minds of those little ones? What were the kiddos thinking during this story of Nehemiah? Like, have you ever read Nehemiah through the perspective of the children? Because think about this. These children have grown up in a generation, in a context where their parents and their grandparents tell story after story after story of what God had done. Not what God was doing, but what God had done. And so these little guys, whether they be preschoolers or they were teenagers or young adults, they had heard story, I mean we're talking decades, not days, decades, where they had heard stories about like Joshua, 
and his, and his, and his buddies and, and the army circling Jericho and blowing a trumpet and how God just, the walls fall down. Like they've heard that story. They've heard the story of Moses, right, where he walks out and he puts his staff in the Red Sea and it just separates and the people cross. And they're like, man, you guys keep telling me stories about what God used to do, but what's God doing now? Like, why can't God do that now? Why, why is our city in ruin? Why is the wall torn down? Like, where is that powerful, powerful God? Like, I mean, I've got to think that teenagers would say things like that because I believe teenagers say things like that now. Like, this church, everybody in this room is, is pretty much an adult. There's a few teenagers in the room, but most of us in this room are adults, right? Most of us are, and we're, most of us are probably people who look at what's going on in our world today and we often shake our head. We don't get it. We don't understand it. And that's why the story of Nehemiah is so important. And that's why this church, where we are located, in the middle of three schools, a middle school and a high school and three elementary schools, this church, God has positioned us. Not just for what goes on in Kids City here on Sunday morning. I'm going to talk about that. But God has positioned us, this people. When I say this church, I'm not talking about a facility. We could be in a different facility next week. But what is different is the people that make up this church. And God has placed this people in the middle of five schools and in the middle of moms and dads who really need a people who say, not what God used to do. Let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you what God is doing. I bet those kids back in Nehemiah's day were saying things maybe like the kids of our day. Do I really have to go to church this weekend? Do I really need to go? Let's just stay home and watch football. Let's just stay home and, and, and like, do I really need to go? I'm just in, uninterested. But I, I got to say this to us in the room as adults. I don't think we can only look at the next generation and say that. I think some of us in this room feel that. I think some of us in this room have yet to experience God show up in a major way in your own life. And man, it is my prayer as a friend of yours, as a pastor of this church, I want to see God do amazing things in my life, and I want to see God do amazing things in your life. Some of you have the same attitude of the teenagers in Nehemiah's day, of the young leaders in Nehemiah's day, that you hear me get up here and read about stories that God has done. Maybe you see somebody's testimony on a video story, a video screen, but you're like, wow, when am I going to get to experience things like that? Why, why do I always have to hear about what God's doing in other people? Why can't God do something in me? I mean, I'm telling you something. Man, my prayer, my prayer, my hope for this church for you is that God would use this place to light you up. That God would use this place. Listen, if you ain't dead, he ain't done. You need to hear that. Like some of you have given up, and like even just this morning, you're just kind of, it's not on purpose, you're just going through the motions. Man, I want God to show up in your life. Man, I want want you to breathe a new fire for what he's going to do. And honestly, I think family ministry is a, a great place that helps that. Right? I think family ministry is a great place. I want us to take us into the story of Nehemiah, and we're going to jump right in here, and we're going to look at several things that we can learn from, what, from the story of Nehemiah. There's no blanks for you to fill out this morning. It's already filled out for you on your insert. It's going to be on the screen, but you can follow along because I want you to be listening. And I, I'm curious, like, what's the Holy Spirit going to say to your heart? Like, If you're visiting with us today, if you're just checking New City out, you're going to get a good taste of maybe who we are today. Okay? So if you don't like it, we tried. Okay? But if you do like what you're going to hear, then I'm going to invite you to come back next week and give us a second date. Give me a second date, right? And then pretty soon I'm going to propose to you, right? Because this is, not a, this is not a church where people show up and go, hey, Matt, what all can you do for me? No, 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 no. It takes two to tango, baby, right? 
And so I'm inviting you to tango with us in this community. Oh, that might be kind of weird, but that's just kind of what was on my head, right? If you're not into a little weird, well, this is not for you. Here we go. Here's what happens in the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah has a position. We're going to get to that in a second. But he gets bad news. His brother comes to town with some friends who are part of the exiles coming back to Jerusalem. And his brother gets in Nehemiah's ear and says, man... It's all messed up. This is the scripture found in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3. This was the report. Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. That's the report Nehemiah gets. And when Nehemiah gets this report, his first response is to mourn, to fast, to pray. Like He, he spends several days kind of like uh, trying to reconcile his emotion of this. But then Nehemiah shifts gears and he moves into I'm going to get it done kind of mode. But every once in a while in our life, guys, we have to, uh, we have, to uh, have a wake-up call as a church. And so the first, the first lesson I think we can learn from Nehemiah is simply this. We have to be able to name what is broken. We have to name what is broken. Like we've got to get our heads out of the sand and we have to name what is broken. Now, you can watch the nightly news and skip over Shawnee and Overland Park and Lenexa and Olathe and our surrounding cities, and you can start working, th- focusing on things nationally or things globally. But I'm telling you, like, we got to get our head out of the sand locally. we got to be able to notice what's going on in our neighborhood, within our church family, within our local schools, within our local families. Like, we have to understand what's broken. And there is brokenness in our city. There's brokenness in our neighborhood. It's really healthy for us to every once in a while have a wake-up call. What I love about Nehemiah is this. Nehemiah didn't ignore what was broken. He didn't ignore what was broken. He did something about it. But here's what he did. He didn't wait for a miracle. And that's what some of us do. Like, man, I'm telling you, I think maybe this is part of our Christian upbringing in in the United States of America is that we set back way too much waiting for God to do something so that we don't have to get our hands dirty. And we just set back and we wait and we wait. Uh, Nehemiah expected a miracle, but he didn't wait for one. Like you can see his prayer uh, that we're going to get to in a second because his prayer is found in chapter 1. And in this prayer, man, he like apologizes. He repents to God for his behavior and the behavior of his people, the Israelites. He he apologizes. He repents for what they had done. And then he kind of ends his prayers. You read in chapter 1, he kind of ends this with this, all right now, God, please help me because here I go. Right? He's about to say amen And he's just saying to God at the end of this prayer, like, be with me because I'm about to go do something as best as I know how about the problem that I just heard about. I'm getting my head out of the sand and I'm going to go. And what we're going to talk about for the rest of the day, rest of the morning, is exactly how he did that. Because, man, I'm telling you, uh, ain't nobody in this room off the hook. Nehemiah ends chapter 1 with his position, right? And this could be something that we would quickly look over, but we can't look over it. He says this, I was cupbearer to the king. He was cupbearer to the king. So what does that mean? It means this, he wasn't a pastor. It means he wasn't the priest. He wasn't a Levite. He was a cupbearer to the king, right? And what this everyday person, this, now he's got a position, and he's got a high position, but it's not a spiritual position. And a lot of times, us in the church, you might be guilty of thinking, man, I hope Matt does something about that. Like you might be guilty of looking at people who stand on this stage or looking at whoever you would consider spiritual at New City Church and say, wow, I hope they do something about that. Now here's what you know. The reason many of you are sitting here is because you know I am going to do something about that. 
as best as I can, I try to engage my community and I try to lead out. I try not to ask you guys to do something that I myself am not willing to do. I'm not asking you to engage in schools, but I'm not going to. I'm not asking you to engage in your neighborhood and I'm not going to. I'm not asking you to engage in your neighbors and I'm not going to. I feel like our team, we put our money where our mouth is. But sometimes, right, because there was a time when I wasn't a pastor, I was a faithful church member that I often thought, man, I hope Pastor Troy or I hope Pastor Chad when I was a kid, I hope these pastors will actually do something about that because what can I do? And what Nehemiah begins to reflect is that your responsibility has nothing to do with your profession. Your responsibility to the brokenness that you notice, to the brokenness that God allows you to see, has nothing to do with your profession. You don't need to go to Bible school to do something. You don't need to go to seminary to do something, right? Nehemiah says, I was simply a cupbearer. And yet I'm going to go do something about this. We are responsible, church, for engaging in a broken world. Not because it's in our job description, but because we are God's people. We forget this. I've got to refill your vision bucket. We are his church. The church is meeting in this building. This building is not his church. Point at your chest. I am the church. As a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of the living God resides right here in you. And throughout your day, He's trying to get your attention for you to see the broken world that you live in. And yet, man, and I know we got calendar appointments and we got jobs that we got to get done. But throughout all that day, man, God is trying to say, look at what's going on around you. And I'm inviting you to be a part of that. You can't say, oh, well, I'm not a priest. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a whatever. No, no, no. It does not matter. We are His church. Not only does he say that everybody gets to play, that your position doesn't matter, notice what he does. Nehemiah also leverages whatever you have. That's what we can learn from him. You leverage whatever position you have. Nehemiah risked a lot of things, or he took a great shot when he spoke to the king. He spoke, because he could have got him in trouble. But man, he leveraged his position. And you know what happened? The king showed Nehemiah crazy favor. Crazy favor. He resourced, like, tons of stuff. Like, it's amazing what the king did for Nehemiah. But for you and I, we have, to, like, we have to leverage whatever responsibility. Some things that we were thinking through are this. You and I are called to leverage whatever status, whatever influence, whatever resource, whatever privilege, whatever knowledge, whatever connections, whatever finances that you have. We are called to leverage whatever we have for the sake of those around us. Everything that you have and everything that you hold as critical is not for you. That is not the kingdom of God. Everything that God has given you is for the benefit of those around you. Do you get to enjoy it? Heck yes. But you're the conduit. You get it and you give it. You get it and you give it. And if you, as a Christ follower, are saying, gimme, 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 and I'm going to keep it, keep it, keep it, that's a huge, huge miss. Must not be so with this church family. That can't be our story, right? God has given you a position, right? You can leverage that position. When I read that phrase, uh, I was cupbearer to the king, uh, it, it reminds me of, of people in this church body. Maybe even some in this room, if I kind of look around, I'm going to have to be nosy for a second here, right? I see Jenny Noah right here. Jenny, what do you do during the day, Monday through Friday? I'm a building specialist for College Park. She's a building, building specialist for College Park, and on Sundays, Jenny teaches my son Luke Miller about what it looks like to live a trusted and live like Jesus. And, Jenny, I got on Luke the other day because he came home and he told me that you had asked him to help clean up. And he goes, oh, my stomach hurts. (laughs) And I told him, I said, if you ever 
do that again. Because we have this bad thing in our house, like when Luke asks me to do something, I'll go, <sighs> like I'm automatically taking a nap. And so, like, the apple hasn't fallen far from the tree. And so there are times when I say, hey, Luke, throw that away, and he'll go, <sighs> you know, it's hilarious, you know, and we have a lot of grace. But when he told me that, yeah, Miss Jenny, he would just tell me, because, you know, we talk, and he's like, yeah, Miss Jenny asked me to help clean up, and I told her my stomach hurt. And I'm like, Luke, did you act like you were sleeping? He goes, no. And I go, if you ever do that to her, oh, son, I will light you up, right? So, Jenny, I hope he wasn't disrespectful. But, you know, Jenny gets it. Her job title is not uh, expertise in all this early childhood stuff. I, th- I see Clay and Lisa back here, all right? Clay manages uh, Ames, is that right? Ames, drywall and paint. Lisa, you work at a, at a doctor's office, is that right? Point. Yeah, okay. And next hour, during while the next crowd's in here worshiping, they're going to be rocking babies because people at New City love making babies. And we always have them. And they're going to be rocking our little ones, making sure that they're cared for while mom and dad are in here worshiping. Right? Man, that, I mean, there's more of you guys, right, that I could go through. I remember uh, Randy Weiler. He's on his way moving to Florida. But there was a time when Randy gave every Sunday teaching our elementary kids. But Monday through Friday, he worked for the Leewood Police Department. And so this idea that, oh, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a priest, I don't get the influence. Guys, no, 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 no. We have a position that we get to leverage. Man, I think many of you in this room get it. And honestly, I think lots of you in this room are going to get it. I think a lot of you in this room, man, the God is going to be uh, poking at your heart saying, hey, this message is for you. Is this message for everybody? I don't know. I can't say that. But I do think this message is for several of us in this room. The The next thing, the fourth thing that we can learn from Nehemiah is this, is that he risked whatever he had. He risked whatever we have. Now, there, this, is, and this is crazy. Nehemiah risked his privilege. He risked his position. He risked his power because, in his mind, people were worth it. People were worth it. You can't expect to rebuild or restore anything without it having the potential to cost you personally. Let me, can, I, can I say that again? You can't expect to rebuild or restore anything without it having the potential to cost you personally. Like, you have to have skin in the game. Let's be honest, right? We all want preschoolers to get a better start. Duh. We all want to rescue kids in foster care. We all want struggling churches to thrive. I, I love partying with struggling churches to help them thrive, right? I love that. We all want teenagers to have consistent mentors. We want to rid our cities of poverty and crime. We all want whatever's broken to get restored. Here's the caveat. As long as it doesn't really cost us too much personally. I want all of those things to happen, Matt, as long as you're really not going to require anything of me. Not so here. Not so here, right? We should never measure our church's success. Guys, we must never measure New City's success based on how many people show up and sit in this room to hear me talk. And I know, I'm really, really good. I get that, right? I get that. That's a joke, okay? We should never measure our success by how many people show up here uh, for Sunday morning worship. However, we should measure the success of this church, but how many are willing to show up in the lives of other people? That's that's our success, is when you and I are showing up in the lives of other people. When we begin to see past ourselves, now, get ready to squirm, because this is where the story gets a little personal, okay? So, so far, the story's been all about Nehemiah. Nehemiah leveraged his position. Nehemiah risked it by going to the king and stepping away because he leaves and he goes to Jerusalem. He gets on ground zero, right? But what he does next includes other people. So the story is about to go from, hey, look what I, Nehemiah, did to look what we, 
us did. And so here's the next thing I want us all to learn. In the story of Nehemiah, everybody, everyone was expected to. Everyone was expected to. Go ahead and look at your neighbor. You can point at him and say, you're expected to. Some of you didn't do it, Alan. Some of you didn't do it, all right? We're expected to. Everyone is expected to. And it seems like there were a lot of people, believe it or not, who were not qualified or specialized for constructing a wall. This is amazing. Nehemiah raises the banner for everybody to come on, and it's amazing how many of those people had no specialization in building and constructing a wall. But yet everybody rallied around it. Nehemiah's visionary speech wasn't long. This is what he says. It's found in Nehemiah 2, chapter chapter 2, verse 17. He says, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. The people responded in verse 18, let's start rebuilding. So they began this good work. There were a ton of good people, good people doing something they were not experts in doing. Isn't that something? A ton of good people doing experts. And I'm saying that because I know some of us are going to be like, well, I don't have any experience in that. Okay, there was a time when you had no experience driving a car, but yet you're all doing it now, right? There was a time when you couldn't even feed yourself, and look at you now, you're so good at it. Some of you, like me, are really good at it, right? There is a time when you didn't know, but now you know, right? The job you're doing now, and when you started it, you probably didn't know, you probably had to go to some training. But look at you now, you're thriving in your company. That's just something we have to step in here. Do something you do not know how to do. Nehemiah didn't say, here's the thing, this is so churchy, this is so churchy, what we do. Nehemiah didn't say, hey, we're going to have a class on Tuesday night, and we're going to, it's a spiritual gift inventory, and we're going to take a spiritual gift inventory to see who is qualified at building a wall. And so if you align with those spiritual gifts that I need you to join, he didn't do that, right? He didn't, uh, he didn't have a class to help people discover their passions and talents. Like, here's something that you just got to quit saying to me or anybody. I'm just not called to family ministry. Oh, my gosh. If you only did what you were called to do, right? Come on. Come on. If you only did what you were called to do, you wouldn't do much of anything. I do things all day long that I'm not called to do. I do things throughout my day that I am inspired to do because I see a need. You think I like talking to strangers? People will drive me nuts. (laughs) But why do I talk to strangers? Why do I meet new people? Why do I invest in conversations? Because people are more important. I'm not that super shepherd that's called to talk to everybody, but people are important. Nobody said, well, I'm just waiting on God to let me know what he wants me to do. They didn't pray about whether or not they should do it. They prayed while they were doing it. They didn't wait until they learned how to do it. They learned how to do it while they were doing it. Like they saw the wall was down. They saw that these families were in crisis. And because the wall was down and families were in crisis, there were people, young adults, teenagers, children, who were questioning the power and strength of God because if God was really all that great, what a powerful name he is, what a powerful name he has, if it's really true, then this wall wouldn't look like it does. And so all the moms and dads led by Nehemiah said, oh, no, 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 we're going to show you how big God is because we're going to do something, right, to, to increase your faith. And that's what, that's what this story is about today, is that you get engaged, you get involved, and it begins to change how the perception of who God is in a little one. Like, I love the leaders who invest in my son and my daughters. 
Because you're working alongside me to increase their understanding of who God is. And the hard part for this church, or the good part, is that I have kids and family ministry. So what's the focus for me? Because some of you, somebody in this room, is going to be the leader that's going to partner with me in leading my son, Luke, my daughters, Allie and Christy, into a personal relationship with Jesus. Some of you are going to, somebody in this room is going to help me with that. Because they hear it at home, right? But Pastor Matt can't be pushy pastor at home, right? Because I want it to be their decision and not something that's expected from them by their dad. But there's going to be a leader in this church who sometime on Sunday morning or through the week is going to have a conversation with one of my kids sometime in the near future that's going to, the light bulb spiritually is going to go off and Jesus is going to invite them into their relationship and they're going to say yes. And I'm telling you, whoever you are, that day when we baptized my kid, me and Jen, you're going to be in that water tank with us. And afterwards, I'm taking you to the Capitol Grill because that's a big deal in my family. Man, we value this partnership of our church and our family. And to say, well, I'm not called to it. No, 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 no. We're all called to it. Well, I'm really not. No, no, no. There's a need. The wall is down. Our kids are losing faith. Our neighbor, like there are parents right now that have no idea that this church, God has gifted us to be the hope of this neighborhood. The message we preach, the Jesus that we lift high, is the hope of this neighborhood. There is no other hope. The, 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 the dad hoping that if he gets that promotion and the raise is going to save all their problems? No, there's going to be more problems. The church is the hope of the world. They just don't believe it yet. See, the walls are crumbling around them and they have no idea. They're being attacked by every side and they have no idea. But we see it and we know it. And so that's why we have to step up and say, listen, man, even though I'm not caught to this, why in the world would God send lost people with hurting families, with kids who need to hear the gospel of Jesus to a church where there's not enough leaders to care for them? Why would Jesus send us his little lambs, his lost sheep, to a church where there's not enough shepherds to pastor and care for them? I don't think that would be very wise on God's part, to send a family in here when we don't have the leadership in place to inspire that child to trust in and live like Jesus. And they leave here going, wow, that's really what they do? That, that, that wasn't much at all. I don't even get it, man. It was just a, it put a bad taste in my mouth. Not so here. We're going to give people the experience where they taste and see that Lord, that the Lord is good. Everybody that Nehemiah needed, get this, everybody that Nehemiah needed to build that wall was already in the town. He didn't have to outsource help, right? He didn't have to call in a group from another city. Everybody that was needed was right there in that town. They already lived in the community. Some of the same people who had been sitting around for decades not doing anything were the same people who rebuilt the walls. The people we need are already here. Here's how I know this, because you are here. The people that we need to influence the cities around us and to be a champion for the gospel in the cities around us are because the reason I know we can do it is because you are here. Everything that we need is right here, right now. All we got to do is determine where we're going, how we're going to do it, and everybody says, you can count on me. I will do my part. I will do my part. Now, there's a specific group of people in this story that we can't <coughs> neglect. This is really, what Nehemiah does here is amazing. There becomes a part of the story uh, where the wall is about halfway built and everything begins to unravel. Anybody in the room ever get tired? These people are tired. There's people on the other side of the wall that are starting rumors. There's other people on the side of the wall that are making threats to the people building the wall. And the morale is way down, man. They're tired. I mean, you've got a bunch of people that are doing something that they have no idea what they're doing. And it's wearing on them. They're getting exhausted. They're tired. They're wore out. 
And Nehemiah does something that's honestly genius. He leans on the family unit. And what he does is he takes all of these families and he positions them in gaps and low points of the walls. Because now all of a sudden you have moms and dads who are getting a new taste of vision because the reason this wall is so important is not just because we need a wall, but because of who those are standing beside them. Because once this wall is built, my kiddos are safe. Once this wall is built, we can get back to our Saturday Sabbath Sunday school or Saturday school. We can kind of get back in our spiritual rhythms. And Nehemiah takes families and he positions them around and it increases this whole new vision for moms and dads. Moms and dads in this church who have children in our family ministry, teenagers, elementary, preschool. Man, I'm asking you as a family unit to stand at the wall. We influence as a family. The weekend I started my sabbatical, June 5th, that was my first Sunday off that weekend. And Jen and the kids are coming here to New City. And Allie says, Daddy, do you have to go to church today? So she said, Daddy, do you have to go to church today? And I said, Allie, time out. So this is, you're going to get my parenting real quick, a little taste of it. You used a word that, that is inappropriate in that sentence. You don't have to go to church. You get to go to church. I don't have to go to church. I get to go to church. And, and she gave me that look like, oh, here we go, right? <laughs> but in her little mind, as a fourth grader, she was having to go to church. I don't want my kids to have to go to church. My, chi- my kids are at church more than anybody in this room. They're here all the time. And I, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm, ca- I'm careful that I'm not raising kids that are always here and they get shoved down their throat. And so like when my son's running all over the place and punching you guys, I'm, I'm like, I'm cool with it, right? Because he's here all the time. But, but when she said, I have to, I said, baby, you don't have to. And I asked her this question. I said, why do we go to church as a family? And she goes, to learn about God. Church answer, right? Just say Jesus and then dad's okay with it, right? I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not why we go to church. That may be why you go to church, but the Miller family, that's not why we go to church. I said, Allie, we go to church to help people. We go to church to talk to people, to encourage people, to love people. The Miller family is past the point of going to church to learn about God. We, we can learn about God every day when we open our Word and read our Bible. There are apps, there are songs, there are programs, there are devotions. There are so many ways that you can learn about God Monday through Saturday. But on Sunday, when the Miller family goes to church, we go to help people. So I said, here's the deal. I don't get to go to church today. I'm staying home. But when you get home, I want to know, who did you help? I want to know, who did you help today when you went to church? And she comes home, and guess what I ask her? Hey, babe, who would you help? And she said, I helped Adelaide, right, Alyssa and Cameron's little girl. They love her. They, they go second hour with Clay and Lisa, and they, they help in the baby room, right? And she, and she told me how she helped Adelaide. She told me how she helped Beth, Bethel, Jake and Marjorie's little girl. And, like, and like recasting a vision for my kids. See, like we have to influence as a family. Like I want you to stand in the gap in family ministry as a family. I don't want you to go do that and everybody else be over here. No, no, no. We go as a family. Husbands, serve with your wives. Wives, serve with your husbands. Like do it as a family as best you can. If you don't have any of those, just stand in the gap. Maybe you'll meet your honey like I met mine. Work for me. I don't know. Okay? I'm going to bring this to a close. Um, this is our problem as a church. It's not a family ministry problem. It's a us, right? It's a us. It's a we. It's a R. And I'm inviting you guys today to say what part can you play? 